Hello and welcome to Unsafe Space with Carter and Carrie. If it's your first time here, you can check us out at unsafespace.com. I'm here with my co-host Carter Laren. And we have two special guests today. We're really excited to welcome to the show, um, Sean and Brian from Myth Informed. Hello, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Hi. Uh, you guys, I, we're going to announce, I didn't ask Carter if I could do this, but I'm just going to announce now <laughs> that we are like $100 shy of hitting our fundraising goal to go to your conference. So we're pretty much going. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, we love you. didn't ask, you. but it doesn't matter. So get, yes, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this airs, I think we'll we'll have hit it. Um, so I I wanted to learn a little bit about you guys. I was uh, surprised to learn that you started Myth Informed in 2013. That you've been doing this for a while. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about how your podcast and the um, conferences that you host came to be? How you came up with this idea? Sure. You want me to take it, Brian? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So we actually yeah. So we started in. 2013. And back then we were actually mythicist Milwaukee. So we, we came to be during what I like to term as the golden age of atheism. Um, it was kind of like, it was right after the first reason rally. It was like a little before a second reason rally where, you know, you had people like Sam Harris and you know, all the, all the, the four horsemen, all those people doing what they were doing. And our organization at that time, we really just started as a Facebook page um, and it was more just kind of getting uh, more educated on the mythology surrounding religion. So hence mythos, the term mythicist. Um, so we, we, were, we really got really nerdy into like studying mythology and seeing how re- the modern day religions were, were uh, essentially the, just the successors of the earlier mythologies. Um, and, you know, we it's it's like been one of those things where anyone that's kind of done a startup, you try and figure out where your your niches are and like the things that that work really well. So we, we when we started, we started with a podcast that was kind of before the podcast boom. Um, so we're on our podcast. We actually were bringing on different people from like the atheist world uh, to come on the show and do interviews and that. And so we were doing the, the podcasting and things like that. And then we decided to do our first conference um which is very small it was only three speakers uh it was at like a hotel banquet hall um but we you know that that went really well and we actually enjoyed doing the event so we we kind of kept going with the podcasting and the the events so those those have been kind of like our two like main things that we've been focused on um we also started getting into some entertainment uh, management, some talent management. Uh, we've worked with people like Hannibal Burris and Eric Andre and the Wu Tang Clan, and um, I actually worked with Ron yeah. Miscavige. Ron Miscavige is the father of David Miscavige, who is the leader of Scientology. Um, so I saw, I got into a whole rabbit hole with like the Scientology stuff. I was actually at a dinner where with the full cast of um, the Going Clear documentary. I don't know if you guys remember the yeah. HBO Going Clear documentary. Yeah, so so we were doing that, um, and it was really kind of more focused on, like, religion. Um, in 2017, four years into it, uh, we decided to kind of branch out. So we had, we organized uh, MythCon 4, and this is kind of where the shit hit the fan a little bit. So, so it was interesting. So we were putting on this major event. It was at a major hall in Milwaukee. It was at Pabst theater. Um, and we brought all these different speakers and, you know, we still had some like the religious stuff that we were talking about. Ron Miscavige spoke there. Um, we had a debate on Islam with a, uh, a moderate 
uh, Muslim, I, I guess a moderate Muslim and an anti or ex-Muslim. And, uh, and then we also had the debate between Sargon of Akkad and Thomas Smith. Um, and it was funny, like, so we were planning this whole thing and then all of a sudden the mob, like the online mob is like our first experience with them. Like we're the, just came in just like, just every day. Like we, we were just like doing all this emergency messaging and all this stuff. And, um, you know, our jobs were threatened and things like that. But it was funny because when we were first planning that event, we thought Scientology was going to come after us right. or like, you know, the Muslim extremists were going to come after us. <laughs> we're really worried about those two things, especially, you know, with Ron and David, like, um, so we're worried. We're like, oh man, you know, this is going to really push some buttons, but it turns out it was the social justice uh, mob that came after us and tried to cancel yeah. us and all that. Az- Azra Nomani said it best. And she, she was, a. she said, when you're a, a feminist Muslim that's been thrown out of mosque for leading prayer yeah. and you're not the most controversial person on stage. This is a good day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that was kind of a turning point for us where it was kind of I don't want to say the end of atheism, but it was kind of it was uh, eye opening for us as far as like atheism is kind of a, a war that's already been fought. And like, you know, like it's the, the social justice stuff is really where the conversation well, is going. Don't, don't you forget that. The, according to Conservapedia, yeah, we yeah the, the uh, a organized atheism ended the day MythCon four was held. Yeah. So oh they, wow. Yeah, they hey. credit with destroying it. <laughs> they credit us with unwittingly so, destroying atheism. So, so from there on, that's when we rebranded to MythInformed, and um, you know we we're we're doing the same things. It's just uh, the topics that we're we're taking on are, are, are slightly more toward the culture war. And, you know, religion still comes up. It's a funny thing. Religion actually still comes up a lot, but it's, that's not the focus anymore. So the long and short of it, that's, that's, that's how we started. And that's where we're at. Now there was actually, I mean, among atheists, there is kind of an acknowledgement that, uh, there was a, what, what is now termed a social justice convergence movement in the atheism community. And it just kind of shattered it. Um, and I know I've heard Peter Bogosian and, and James Lindsay talk about this as well. I mean, other than, can you maybe get into a little bit like why they were protesting your conference and how it affected, like, did you have to choose sides? It seems like, well, Go we, for it, we didn't, the, the idea was not to do that. Uh, what we had was we had the core group of people that, that organized the event that Sean and me and some others, but we'd also have local meetings every two weeks where we have an even larger group of people all of which kind of considered themselves part of this group and everybody would attend. So we, that was pretty diverse, right? Left as well as kind of centrist. Yeah. Centrist, everything, you know, most people were on the libertarian side, but you know, I'm sure there was some diversity on that side too. But anyways, the, we wanted to keep it even, you know, this Mm -hmm. so all the debates, Melissa Chen was the only person there that was speaking alone beside Ron but the rest were debates and we, everything was even. It wasn't, we had developed a culture too in these other two week, you know, these week meetings we'd have locally every two weeks where everyone could speak their mind openly. And there was a general consensus that you didn't shame people for their opinions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting, I don't think like that. But everyone was allowed to air this. As soon as this went viral on the internet, a massive yeah. national spotlight was on it. But- and then the group started to break up and that there was a number of people that, in the group that wanted to cancel the whole event. Yeah. Well, I, I will say to your point though, it, 
Peter and uh, what James are talking about is, is yes, they're absolutely right. They're they're you know. 2001 kind of, you know, after 9-11 really started the wave of atheism. And it's similar to what we're seeing with social justice, where you had all these organizations form and they started figuring out what they wanted to do. Um, and in the beginning, it was all about discussion, having tough discussions, being able to take on any topic and debate, debate, debate. That's what the whole thing was. We'd have a number of, of, right. of religious people show up to our atheist right. meetings. Right. Because, they, again, we developed that space to where they could also come and share their viewpoints. Yeah. And it was like right around 2012, 2013, Richard Carrier, actually, funnily enough, coined the term atheism plus. And what atheism plus was, was it was atheism, but sprinkling in all these social justice ideologies. So that was kind of like the, the beginning of the end, in a sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so once once that took hold, then. The conference, I see, we knew all of these atheist organizations and their organizers and their executives, things like that. And once once that started taking hold and becoming more popular, that was the narrative in atheism. And if you spoke out against social justice, if you're critical against social justice, you were no longer welcome. Um, and it was our event that said, no, we're not going to back down to this because the whole thing, their whole campaign was trying to shut us down to not put Carl and Chew on head and armored skeptic on stage. Um, and we just said, no, this is a principled right. stance that we are not going to uh, deplatform people based on their opinions. And, um, and that, so that, so yes, there was that big push in atheism to silence those, those voices. And yeah, so we didn't really choose a side. We chose a side of, we're not going to censor, censor people, yeah. which, um, which puts you on a side, according right. to some. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because Carter and I talk about this a bit on, on our podcast. Uh, I'm a pretty new Christian, but he's an atheist. And we've recently talked to a couple Christians. We have a few others uh, interviews in the pipeline because I'm really concerned with social justice ideology infiltrating the church is one of the places. And um, it's interesting to talk to Christian thought leaders who maybe some of them aren't aware of how it, it did the same thing to new atheism mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter the community it, yeah. I mean, it, it can infiltrate anywhere knitting, right we just off with carlin and yeah. like yeah the, I, I did not know it was a knitting yeah. knitting yeah <laughs> I, from a religious standpoint i think all you have to do is point to the universalist unitarian church and just and just showcase say let go Go to one of those uh, meetings, you know, granted, it's not an Abrahamic faith and it's not, you know, whatever, but they've adopted it fully, fully three years ago, fully adopted it. Just say, you know, if you if you if you want to see the end goal and the end game of this, go to one of those meetings, go to one of those. And yep. but you know where it's at now? Southern Baptists. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that shocking? I mean, to me, it was shocking because I felt like they're sort of the they would be the holdouts uh, if anyone. But, um, but well, the, the, the interesting thing with that, though, is they're kind of primed to this, because if you actually take it to its end goal, they want to judge people based on race and gender. And and yeah. I, and, st and it's like Southern Baptist Church. That's perfect. You know, <laughs> well, so this actually this is interesting, though, because I, I want to ask about this as an atheist, because I one of the problems that I have with Christianity uh, is it doesn't have philosophic defenses against this. And there is no inherent pro-individualist, anti-collectivist um, tenets within Christianity. It's all up to interpretation, which I think makes them extremely vulnerable. Um, it, it completely depends on who's interpreting it. And uh, I don't know, I would love your thoughts. 
like what specifically do you mean? Like, give me a, an example of, of of some like what's a tenet of like social justice you feel like it's ill-equipped to handle? Well, I would say in general, social justice is based on the idea that um, the of the primacy of the group over the primacy of the individual, just kind of like an anti-enlightenment idea, right? The enlightenment philosophy is based on this idea that um, individuals are philosophical primaries uh, as related to groups, and groups are collectives, collections of individuals, and you treat people as individuals, not as primarily as group members, although they may have you know commonalities. Um, Whereas social justice treats people primarily as group members first and not as individuals. And, I, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not a Christian, but it seems that Christianity doesn't have any, uh, there's not really clear direction in the Bible that's like, no, 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 you must treat people as individuals. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. you know, everything's about individuals, not about a collective. But it would seem your best defense would be in order to get to heaven or you know, the, the live a good life that that's largely based on individual choices. Now, generally in religion, it you get to that place by following a set of prescriptions, but it's yes. still an individual thing. Well, yeah. I th that's the interpretation that would be used to rebut it. But as you've pointed out, there are plenty of religious people who will cite other verses in scripture and argue that actually, no, that's, you know, there's nothing inherently individualistic about Christianity. Um, and it, it could totally be social justice is the way to implement God's plan for, I don't know, I can't, I can't no, quote scripture. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I, I don't think, I don't think Christianity is unique in being defenseless against this. I oh, think I don't think it's unique. Are, I just think it yeah. is defenseless, not uniquely defenseless. Yeah. But I think it's, I think that the, 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 the people who are doing that, especially most egregiously, some of the, uh, men of faith, like pastors who are doing that now, I think are taking the Bible in bad faith. I think they're dishonestly trying to twist the interpretation of verses mm -hmm. because Jesus didn't talk about your group status is what gives you salvation. <laughs> like there's nothing they can point to that Jesus said, you know, well, well, dishonoring the community and then creating, you could, the occasions yeah. of sin and things like that. Those are generally group things. You yeah. see that a lot in people that are in more hardcore faiths or, you know, you see it a ton in Islam too, because you were dealing sometimes with honor cultures that, all right, fine, you can believe that, but don't say it out loud. You'll dishonor the family. Yeah. You'll dishonor the community. And this will make it not just, this isn't an individual thing. This makes it worse on all of us. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing is, like, I think the the people that are more susceptible are those that were in the hardcore religions like the Jehovah's Witnesses or Scientology or, you know, the really cult, top-down cult, uh, like, religions. These, when these people leave these structures, they, they are definitely in a position to fall in line with something like social justice because it's still, it gives you a sense of, hey, this is how I can become a good person. This is how I can still judge others. I mean, there are certain things. It's in just those, an ultimate like, structure. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. The feeling yeah. of belonging. And very similar. Imagine you know. if you left and you were rejected completely by your community that you once had total belonging in, and now you're kicked out. You want that back. Yeah. And, and you know, this is something that will give it to you. You know, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, when they come over, are super nice. You know, you might sure. want that. I mean, if you were an alcoholic, yeah. you your job, your family, that this might feel like the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the same thing with social justice, you're, you're might moving towards a good person, especially if you feel shame. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can well, see- for me, it definitely, I was raised Southern Baptist and I left that in between the ages of 16 and 19 over a period of about three years. And I was indoctrinated into social justice ideology in college and was a true believer for about 20 years. And looking back, like in hindsight, it definitely filled the religious gap for me, the God gap, although it wasn't about a deity, but it gave me that sense of purpose and mm. um, meaning and of, like you said, of virtue of being a good person. Um, but what's funny now, I'm listening to you say this because I'm thinking of, occasionally we get comments on the videos of people who, um, I guess, maybe are atheists, but who don't like that I've become a Christian and they they view that my transition now is being equally, they're like, oh, you just moved into another cult. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm a nomad now. I'm, uh, but I could see how they could view it that way. Yeah. Know? Well, and the, the beauty with uh, Christianity, though, and this is why it's uh, lasted and it's been so successful, is it doesn't, um, it doesn't shame people that don't believe. Like, obviously, there's a time in the U.S. where the, the religious right had power and things like that. But for the most part, especially Christianity, it's it's allowed itself to be challenged. And you can be a moderate Christian and not go to church. You can believe in Jesus and not have to go to church. And um, I think I think that's very that's why the like the spirituality thing is very popular these days because a lot of people want the spiritual thing, but not necessarily the dogma and like the, the, the church and all the things that you have to go through. So, um, yeah, I, I personally, I think it's up to you. If, if you want to be a Christian, be a Christian. If you want to be a Muslim, be a Muslim, but know what you're subscribing to and understand what your stances are. You know, and I think that that's the most important. And the atheists used to pride themselves on having these discussions, but they just won't anymore. So yeah. Carrie and I often talk about social justice as a, or we'll say the modern social justice ideology, not maybe the old school social justice. Uh, yeah. We kind of view it as a religion, and it, and it, um, I, I'd love to hear, like, you guys started out as a group that was, you know, atheists and talking a lot about religion. What, how do you define a religion, and does this modern day social justice fall into that category or not? Well, I can start. I'll let Brian take this one home. It's Sean, Sean generally thinks it's Scientology. We, I think it's a little bit more hardcore Catholicism. Yeah, we've actually been um, <laughs> thinking about working on a meme uh, where we can take the new woke culture and we can showcase their prophets and their their scriptures and their, you know, their tenants and their all their mottos and their commandments. And all of the all of the things are there um, that uh, you would see in a religion, things that keep people in line and things that you can identify uh, heretics, ways you can identify heretics and those that should not be a part of the movement. And uh, yeah, it, it's very similar. Um, you know, if you don't agree, you know, the, the original sin is you're white, um, you know, like the, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but yeah, I, I totally see it as a religion, Brian, go yeah, ahead. No, the original sin, it's, it's even more than just that you're white. But in Robin DiAngelo's book was talking about if a newborn bank baby spanking newborn is born racist yeah. I mean, yeah. this is straight out of original sin yeah. so oh you have to work your entire life at this and be humble and that you are not allowed to judge yourself like it, that they will judge you god so the minorities become god you have original sin um you have a number of sacraments right i i think the eucharist is is getting on twitter and, and piling on right that that's really to me what that is and then there's no confession Right. There's the yeah. one thing about Catholicism that seemed to me makes it infinitely better is you can go into the confessional 
and become clean. Yeah. So for a while, I mean, I remember when I was 16, like, don't don't need to wear my seatbelt now, you know, because boom, it's a free trip to heaven if if otherwise, you know, like it, you felt good. Yeah. There is no equivalent in this. Yeah. Well, they actually they have confession, but there's no grace or forgiveness afterwards. You just have to keep confessing forever. That's ah, right. Okay, so That's confession, right. but without the yeah, without the. <laughs> That's right. Without the the um absolution. Yeah, without the absolution. Yeah. Hey, I just had to pull this up because right before you guys joined us, I was I was showing this to Carter. My boyfriend's at the bookstore right now, and he's like, "Look at this book. Can, can you guys see that? Anti-racist uh, baby." Oh. oh. <laughs> okay, and it's it's what you're talking about. It's uh, the baby's uh, born brand new, spanking racist, and and it's I mean it's. It's about how to talk to your baby about being an anti-racist and confessing to your baby yeah. your uh, racist ideas that you sometimes express. Jeez. Jeez. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I hadn't seen that one yet. That one kind of blew my mind. <laughs> so, so, yes, Carter, we definitely agree. It is. It, it has the religious underpinnings minus the forgiveness right. or the salvation. Yes. Right. And excommunication would be the complete shunning. And I suppose the same in Scientology. Mm-hmm. What is it? Disconnection or what's it called? Uh, yeah, dis, dis, uh, disconnection. Yep. Scientology. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what will starting with the conference where you had the first <laughs> mob pushback and controversy, who have been some of the, um, well, who are some of the speakers coming up at, at your conference in August and sure. who have been some of the most controversial speakers? Oh, um, <laughs> trouble for Sargon mostly. Yeah. The, the first one, the, we got in trouble for Sargon. Um, the second one was interesting. So we did myth. Uh, I should. Okay, second. No. So the the first one we got in trouble for was our fourth one, and then our fifth one, um, we really didn't get a lot of uh, flack for. It was a lot of the same speakers, um, with some additions like Tim Pool, people like that. Um, we actually didn't get a lot of. Um, the crap that we did get came from the yeah, other direction. It yeah. Well, we got it. We got it. Right. We got a bomb. Oh, wow. threat. Um, on that one, but we don't know necessarily who was responsible for that one. Um, but mine's IRL. Um, we got, uh, that was last year. That was our last year event. We, we ran an event for Tim pool and, uh, mines, Bill Ottman of minds.com. And, um, we had, uh, a ton of people there. There was a whole list. There was a whole list of people. Antifa had created a special website with a list. And it yeah. detailed each one of these people's so, flaws. So what happened? An, an inquisitor couldn't have had the line of people that had their heresies. Yeah. So gone. so like Tim was there, Sargon, Dankula was there. Um, you know, uh, Megan Murphy, Karen Strawn, Melissa Chen, uh, Andy No was a big one. Yeah. They kept talking about. Um, it, it just ton of other people. Uh, but what happened there was we actually learned a lot of lessons from that one. But um, the initial venue we had was uh, in Jersey uh, near where Tim lives. And um, Antifa uh, hacked the Twitter account of the venue and uh, kept it ransom and put change the description to say, you know, this this venue is for white nationalists. And well, if, they said this Twitter account is yeah. hacked and will be released when you cancel, cancel the white right. nationalist event. Yeah, yeah. Here in this so yeah so it wow. was it's the ransom yeah and we'll give it and back. and then they threatened to burn down the theater and you know all this stuff wow. 
Yeah, we we lost that venue. So we lesson so learned. You initially defended <laughs> us, but then caved as the pressure ramped up. Yeah, lesson learned from that. Wow. Uh, that's the, anyone out there throwing now, events these days. Hide your venue. Wait. Don't li- release the venue until the day before. Ironically, the the after party stuck with us. They were owned by a Jewish couple that that felt the intense heat and mm-hmm. we're really really concerned we talked to them very they, progressive but very progressive too their bathroom said humans it wasn't male and female yes. like the bathroom was humans like this is a very progressive owned company but they stuck with us mm-hmm. under under principles okay. they felt that this was the wrong thing to do and they yeah. honored our contract so the we, the the main event to a casino yeah and then what which is help for extra security mm-hmm. and in addition we also didn't let anyone know this, and we released the. We yeah. did not release the actual venue. We said about where it would be. Well, until the morning up. Yeah, and the funny thing with that is, you know, another lesson learned is, um, they if you list, if you just paid attention to what was happening on social media, you know, they're going to burn down the theater with us in it. They're going to do all this crazy stuff, right? Um, at the casino, they knew about the venue because Talia Levin was there, uh, and she released the venue like the like day the, of the, yeah, the, the day eight of eight in the morning. And they brought in uh, it was like forty Philadelphia police officers because we had to go across the bridge uh, for the new venue. So forty Philadelphia police officers were outside. No one came. Like we had all the security on the inside. We had all the security on the outside. No one came. And then at the after party, which they already knew that address, there was only like thirty people that showed up. And the Jersey. You uh, mean to protest? To protest. There, yeah, to protest. I saw about as many as seventy-five at one point. There, well, there was a decent amount. Okay. Well, but there was also other people that were allies there too. It wasn't all protesters. Well, remember? Yeah. It, so it it, 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 it wasn't. Case, it, if you were to listen to what they said online, you would expect like hundreds and hundreds of people showing up. Uh, the New Jersey police force did an amazing job. I mean, this is the most bizarre scenario ever. So we have all these speakers, all these guests attending the after party and we had to have police escort. So you had to have a police like escort you to the venue and like everybody had to do that. We had to take like a back entrance in. Um, but the New Jersey police force just handled it perfectly. There's no problems. Um, and it, it's even stranger cause Daryl Davis was there and Daryl Davis mm-hmm. is faint. Yeah for like uh, de-radicalizing uh, was it like 200 KKK. KKK members and he actually went out to talk with the mob and Daryl Lamont Jenkins was there actually protesting and I don't know if you guys know who Daryl Lamont Jenkins is I but don't. he's a big activist in the Black Lives Matter he's he's he, you know he's had Netflix documentaries on him and stuff and Daryl Davis went out to go talk to Daryl Lamont Jenkins and the people out there were calling Daryl a white supremacist this is a black muse, uh, blues musician that uh, has de-radicalized over 200 KKK members, and they were chanting he was a white supremacist outside. And the first black so, member of the Klan. Yeah. 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 So, That's amazing. Yeah. I, our friend Mike Harlow uh, went as a guest at that event uh, last year, and he was telling me about that, about them calling Daryl Davis a white nationalist. Do you think they even knew who he was? No, oh, they did. Yeah. Daryl oh. Jenkins worked with um, that he knew him personally. Yeah, he worked with him like seven years prior. Well, Daryl Lamont Jenkins took the position that they actually offered to Daryl Davis in Black Lives Matter. They offered him uh, Daryl Davis initially the position and he declined. And uh, Daryl Lamont Jenkins actually took his position. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're really familiar with one another. But, yeah, 
and 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 you know irony is a bunch of white people chanting white supremacists at a black man so you know just yeah at a black man who pulls white people out of white supremacy yes yeah. yes so and, that's the and, end game of all this. and hurling racial slurs at our black attendees and mm-hmm. sexual slurs at our female attendees who is it uh the red-headed yeah, libertarian, libertarian josie josie was there they were calling her nasty calling her, her way out. a slut and all this stuff and um yeah is absolutely right insane. because i think is once once you're in the evil group like none of none of the niceties apply so it, it's a lot like religion where often the rules that govern your religion apply only to the members mm-hmm. outsiders aren't governed by some of these things and you can do a lot different things. yeah you yeah. know this, they got around usury laws yeah right that there were usury laws in the catholic church so Jewish people became the bankers for the Christians mm-hmm. because their own usury laws only applied to other Jews, but not Christians. Yeah. So, right. you mean, you can get around this. And I think it's the same way here. Like, as soon as they're the fascist, now it doesn't, you, you can be, you don't have to honor anything except for pronouns. Except yeah. for pronouns. <laughs> yeah. There was a big fight in our latest Better Discourse event where. Online, 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 yeah, yeah, online fight. So we wanted uh, Peter Coffin, who's a a leftist, so not not a Democrat, legit, a a legit leftist. Nice guy, love him. Right to talk to Milo. Love them. Sorry to talk to Milo Yiannopoulos, and because he's got his bona fides in these leftist circles, there's this huge debate erupted on whether or not he should speak to Milo or not. That taints him with Nazi. Now I shouldn't say him. (laughs) Um, Taints them. Yes, he them because. His pronouns binary and his yeah. pronouns are they them. Right. So in all of this, there were some that considered him so traitor that they would call him a Nazi for even speaking. But then I think one of the threads was um, he, you know, somebody misgendered him. And oh, all of them, all of them were all of them were a Nazi. But then someone else says, well, you know, wait a minute. They, them, respect the pronouns. And someone goes, he's a Nazi, blah, 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 doesn't rave any respect. And somebody replied, we respect Nazi yeah. pronouns. So it was this whole debate. <laughs> and, you know, they should, uh, no, they're a Nazi. They're a Nazi. They, That's yeah. Yes. yes. They are a Nazi. Yes. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. It was absolutely legit. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I don't know. Pronoun diplomacy is maybe. I think yeah. something. You say they hold pronouns themselves in such high regard. <laughs> Pronouns are so sacred. It's it's not that they're respecting whoever it is they're maligning as a Nazi. It's that they're it's that the pronouns are revered, like like, like revering pronouns. the office. Yeah, revering the office <laughs> of the president or respecting the office of the president, even if you don't like who's in office, which right. used to be a thing that we did. Yeah. Um, so, and maybe it's just that they can revere the pronouns themselves. I know. Seriously, it, yeah. that, it, there it, what there's an element of sacredness to this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so I'd say to answer your question, uh, the original question, last year, controversial speakers, they they always have a list. They always make a list and they give them like fake bios. It's, it's actually funny. And everything it. is exaggerated. So, yeah, everything's extremely exaggerated. But last year was Dank, No, Sargon, and Murphy. Uh, um, and there are the person on our uh, yeah. consent panel. Um what I'm escaping her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, so that those were the. This year, I'd say um, we were getting the most heat for Milo, which to, which to be expected. Um, and Sargon and Zuby, funnily enough, when they when the UK people were when we thought they could actually make it. Um, but yeah. So. But right. Yeah. Zuby yeah. again doesn't matter. You know. Zuby, they've now. 
decided it's a Nazi. Yeah. That, okay. Oh, or or Fashy. Um. Uh, you know. Oh, and, and Jeremy the quartering. That's a big big yeah. one for them now. Yeah. You know, but but yeah, fashy is that or, you know, part of either the fash, you know, some Nazis is sometimes reserved. Sometimes they'll call them that. But everything is they they're bootlickers. They carry water for fascists. So you'll get that. So fascists adjacent. Mm-hmm. I think they <laughs> would probably be the 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 bell curve of the claim. Yeah, that's my favorite phrase lately is fascist adjacent. Uh, <laughs> I. <sighs> You guys, you know, you, you, you talked about this as religion, and I wanted to point something out that I, I don't think everyone kind of understands in terms of how the rules apply, and I, w- I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, and the best example I actually have is, you know, you were talking about how for Catholics, usury doesn't apply if it's for Jews, like the rules are only for them. But more importantly, um, the example that I can think of is, is for, as far as I understand, in the Muslim faith, your own behavior is... Um, your own behavior actually gets um, moderated based on who you're talking to. So if you're a Muslim, you can't lie to another Muslim, but lying to a non-Muslim is completely okay. Like lying is an okay thing to do if it's to uh, an infidel. And the way that I think about the social justice religion is there's no, I think a lot of people assume that they're coming at this from good faith. Like they're they're trying to have a good faith conversation and convince you about something. In actuality, they're not coming at it in good faith at all. When they speak to you, if you're not one of them, if you're in the evil camp, they are speaking to you in an attempt to find whatever phrases work to intimidate you into agreeing with them, regardless of those phrases are contradictory to their belief system, uh, things that they wouldn't say or say, you know, or even don't believe, or things that uh, they accuse you of. N- none of it matters. There's no attempt to be consistent. Words are simply a weapon that they can use at will without any consequences personally uh against enemies yeah it's the idea of um and they did this may or may not come from academia but the the concept of repressive tolerance i think this is well that is a marcus's famous essay right (laughs) i mean sure but you see this popping up in in a lot of different places um so anything to stop this right the idea is if there's a totalitarian and such an illiberal thing that you can't tolerate the intolerable. So you must, at, at any means necessary, push this back. So it's the tolerance of you know, repressive tolerance. But you see this in, in the hardest core of parts of Islam, too. If you ask the jihadis and, and the, the part of um, ISIS, what, you know, why there was an article in their, the Beak magazine, why we hate you and why we fight you. And they 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 lay it all out, but they believe ultimately they're doing things based on love. Mm-hmm. And the the argument goes like this: even if we kill a billion people, mm-hmm. um, in order to make the entire world Muslim, okay, that's obviously a negative. But think of the negative if we don't. Mm-hmm. There will be 11, 20, 30, 40 billion people going into the future, all souls going to heaven. If we can convert this now, only a mil, a billion souls go to heaven instead of fifty later. Mm-hmm. That's repressive tolerance too. You know, that's the same. That's the same idea. Right. It's, it's like uh, it's like the woman who uh, Andrea Yates who drowned her children in the bathtub so that yeah. she could save their souls. Mm-hmm. It's that really f- messed up. I, you know, it's fine this evil that I'm doing because. It's actually uh, it's it's good in the long run. It could be much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I also think it's opportunistic for some. Yeah. There's definitely the the hardcore believers, but I think there's 
just a ton of people these days that are just absolutely opportunistic when it comes to this. I mean, Carrie, I heard that you work for W. Kamau Bell. I saw one of your episodes when you were talking about W. Kamau Bell, and he was one guy that I always loved. I loved his comedy. He was like, he was willing to tell tell you like it was. He he did shy away from conversations and. Um, and then all of a sudden, I would say maybe like five, six years ago, I kind of saw a change in him where all of a sudden certain topics that he was talking about were off, off, off the, you know, like off base. Like he completely changed his comedy and his whole perspective on social justice and everything. And it, and it almost looked opportunistic to me. And then I saw, I think he had a show on MSNBC. I don't know. I could have the channel wrong. CNN. The CNN. last one that I sold with him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had shades. Yeah. Yeah. So and then then that was kind of like his change into like uh, extreme social justice. So that's just one example. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But you see a lot of these people, especially in entertainment, that are just taking this thing on. In or I mean, the Dixie Chicks, it's another perfect example. The chicks like, come on. We, we know, okay, we know, you know, I call them traditional progressives. They were progressives in the night. We get it. You guys are progressives. But they're, like, doing this thing where they're, you know, they're, they have to showcase their virtue, their virtue signaling to everyone by by jumping in on this. And I, I honestly think it's just opportunistic. I don't think they believe in it. I think a lot of, for a lot of them, it's opportunistic. And I definitely worked with some comedians for whom I it was. It was uh, an opportunistic thing. But... Uh, Kamal is one of those who he was doing social justice comedy before like when I first started representing him before anyone knew who he was and he was doing SJW comedy then and that was why I was really drawn to him because I mean I viewed my job managing comedians as a a vehicle for pushing my ideology through comedy and Mm -hmm. so I I, when uh, when we met I was I was like this is amazing we're gonna make you're gonna be a household name like this is gonna be big and you can make people laugh and he could, like you said, he's very yeah. funny. A lot yeah. of people like to, I was telling Carter the other day on our show, whenever I talk about my background, I talk about how I represented, for the most part, social justice comedians. And I hear the joke all the time about like, ha ha, that's a misnomer. But actually some of, so there you can have, not all of it is clapter. You can be funny and talented and and still, and be a part of this ideology. So um, he was really skilled at that. But I think what happened is, because this is a faith where you, once you once you're a true believer, you get involved in a purity spiral. You can never be pure enough. Yeah. And so something early on that happened to him was uh, one of one of his SJW high priests or priestesses in his life, someone he respects in the ideology who he considers higher up than him in terms of knowledge about this belief system, confronted him about a joke he used to do about Condoleezza Rice, where mm. he said she was so ugly it looked like something about how her teeth looked like. One was going one one way and the other the other way. I don't know. It was a joke about her appearance. Mm-hmm. And so this woman sat him down and basically explained, this is how they get you. It's like, okay, do you under, if you understand, like if you come into social justice ideology through the racism door, there's lots of doors. I came in through the feminism door. They, they approach you at whatever door you came in on. So she's like, so you understand the way we talk about racism, right? And how white people can't make jokes about race in the same way that black people can and white people need to shut up and be quiet and listen, but black people get to speak. So she's like, it, so it's the same thing with sex. So as a man, you can't make a joke about a woman's appearance. And so th- then then they get you to start self-censoring yourself in this other area. Because you've accepted the ideology in yeah. this one area, then they get you to expand it to sex and then to sexuality. And then, you know, and based on whatever 
um, immutable characteristics you have based on whatever identity groups you're in, you either get to have a voice or you can't have a voice. You, you can do this kind of joke or you can't do this kind of a joke. Interesting. And so then people start self-censoring more. So he, he got to where, you know, he talked about that. I'm not telling tales out of school. He talked about that conversation and how that changed his view and opened up, opened up the way he thought about things when in actuality, what it's doing is closing doors and saying, you can't, these topics are, are off limits. Yeah. You know, I was, um, I always wondered was that see his first show, the W come bell show that was produced by Chris rock, right? He was exactly and myself. Yes. And myself, yes. <laughs> And Chris Rock is like notorious for, you know, free speech, free speech, absolutism, like telling jokes that are, you know, some people might not like or whatever. But like that was always his whole thing. It was absolutely hysterical. Um, It was just kind of interesting to see Kumar like when Kumar's like evolution, knowing that Rock was like producing his show. So. I don't know. For you me, you should that... have seen the wars behind the scenes. Okay. Because okay, because Kamau and I and a lot of the writers were also younger and social justice oriented comedians, and they gave us they gave us a lot of leeway in terms of which comedians we hired to write. So some of my other clients were also writers on the show, okay. and um, you know Hari Kondabolu, who's since made a name for himself with the okay. Apu stuff. He was one of our writers, and we we had a lot of social justice ideology in the writers room. But then we had these. Um, like sort of a, a different from a different generation. We had people um, in the creative process like Chris Rock, like one of the other executive producers, Chuck Sklar, who worked with Chris a lot, who okay. um, it was headbutting all the time at the beginning because, because for example, Chuck would want to do a joke about, um, uh, you know, making fun of a politician's weight. Um, I forget who's that Paul Huckabee or somebody, somebody that was on, I can't remember on a beat. He wanted to make a a joke about this guy's weight. And then it would be this whole thing where we're in the writer's room and now you have the social justice comedians explaining fat phobia to these other older comedians and trying to explain why you can't do a joke about this because it reinforces existing systems of oppression. (laughs) Wow. Everything. Quiet or did they fight back or did they push back at all? When they they... Push... Oh, they totally pushed back. We had one of the most stressful, anxiety-producing writers' rooms. Like I had, I've never talked about any of this stuff publicly, so this is kind of funny. I'm, I was here to interview you, but I'll just say this: yeah, it's no, it's... not a pleasant experience. And um, e- even among the pe- the social justice comedians who agreed, it was not pleasant amongst them. It was just like a lot of bad vibes, finger pointing, um, disappointment, even when things seem to be going well. And I had a lot of friends on the show or comedians I worked with or comedians who I represented and even ones I didn't who would come to me for advice occasionally, who once the show ended were just like, I mean, they were jumping ship before it ended because it was such a contentious writer's room. And then, you know, once it ended talking about how a lot of them went to um, to the Colbert Report and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is so much better. <laughs> like, and even though that's a social justice kind of theme comedy show now, it's just I don't know. There was something about ours that was just really different. Maybe because it was the first first time where you had these two different beliefs about what's off limits and what's not in comedy in the room together, butting heads. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. That's I wanted to bring you on our show because I wanted to pick your brain on that because I've worked with a lot of comedians too, and most of them, like Hannibal Burris, is one where he. Was in was a uh, University of Chicago that invited him. And they said, "Don't do this joke," 
and then he opened up with that joke and they cut his mic. Yeah, I mean, cut his mic. he, you know, he, he stood by his principles. Eric Andre's another one. Although Eric's kind of starting to get a little social justice these days. Was, wasn't it Loyola? Um, maybe it was Loyola. Yeah. yeah. So it was for Hannibal's Loyola, but it's just, it's interesting watching these comics. And I think Louis CK is one of them um, where he just, doesn't care like he's not you know they've canceled everything for him and he's you know he's taking the hard line which is very admirable you you almost have to get to that point for some people like a lot of people i get contacted once in a while to be interviewed for pieces about cancel culture and um they want to talk to me about being canceled and then once we start talking it's almost I wasn't canceled or maybe I canceled myself consciously. <laughs> it's like, I'm leaving this belief system behind. Goodbye. Here's why. Yeah. But it wasn't like some, I did something wrong and then I renounced my faith because, because my faith renounced me. It wasn't that way. But I think for some people that's, that's the way they kind of woke up. And maybe that was the way it had to happen. Like people who have had, um, well, like Lucy K and me too. When you've had something like that happen to you, maybe that's what it takes. Yeah. To shake yeah, awake. Yeah, you have to like you have to see it. Like when we got canceled in 2017, um, yeah, you have two choices: either a bend the knee to the mob, which they'll never, uh, you know, they'll never accept any apology that you make, or b, you know, ignore it and keep doing what you're doing. And you know, comedy used to be that uh, that that arena where you could go and say whatever and make and you know, there there's always a line. And you kind of know when you cross the line, but even if you did cross the line, it's okay. Like it's comedy. Like we understand it's comedy. And you know, that's, that's kind of like, I'm really scared, uh, when I start to see comedians, you know, jumping ship on, on, on being able to joke about anything. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And that peer pressure is intense. Like when you see so many people, especially if a lot of these people were your friends too, all pushing in one direction, Mm -hmm. it's easy to think, well, crap, I might be wrong. You know, and and go along with it. And, you know, when everyone else is doing it, maybe there's some wisdom to the crowd. Is that the idea versus it could be the madness of the crowd? So mm-hmm. I got to believe that has an effect. I mean, there, there's no doubt that I question things at times or maybe we are doing the wrong thing. But the thing is, thankfully, we had a group of people. So you could bring this to the yeah. group and say, what about this? And then you could hear other points of view and you're like, OK, yeah, no, that isn't a good idea. You know, but I can imagine if a person is being mobbed by themselves. Yeah. And we got a small mob. I, I could imagine what the Covington kids feel like. You know, I mean, just a, a national massive mob, you know, compares to ours. Oh, man. But it, it you feel it. Yeah. It, like, yeah. There's something real about the Twitter mob I, that you got to you have I just, to feel it. I just want to say one it. thing on cancel culture for your audience and one of the things that you know like in when we're looking at these things when you're looking at case studies if you if you take a look at our our small organization we you know we said no to the mob in 2017 they tried canceling us in 2018 they tried canceling us in 2019 this year they're not even trying to cancel us what they're doing is they're trying to cancel the, some of the speakers like with Peter Coffin yeah. they did they got to him um, but oh, the, they're going to the speakers. Yeah. So the 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 kind of the point I'm making is you have to be willing to not listen to them, and eventually they'll move on and try and figure out other ways to mess with you. But you you have to say okay. It's just like being in an abusive relationship. You have to say no. You're like no, we're not gonna. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to stand up for yourself, and eventually 
they'll leave you alone. Like Louis, you know, took some time. He'll get to a point where he's, you know, filling house. I think he already is kind of filling. Uh, well, when we had events, I should say he was already filling uh, stadiums and theaters again. But yeah, you have to just be willing. It's scary in the beginning. It's very scary. But you have to be willing to stand by your principles and say, no, I'm not going to listen to these people. And eventually, you know, they just they go away. Yeah. But they, uh, that one, they'll go to you first. But then as soon as they know you won't listen, they'll go after your venues, your yeah. anything else. Yeah. So this Anybody is you work with. Yeah. Advertisers, suppliers. So, you know, keeping things as secret as possible is, is helpful. Yeah. You know, don't don't really don't. Don't let people yeah. know, you know, and, that and it's the, harder for them to go after. And the scum of the earth of the people that go after people's employers. I can't stand those people. I don't know how they sleep at night. Those I, I've had it happen to me. My wife's had it happen to her. She has nothing to do with our organization. Like they put her into tears, like with the, the harassment that came. And it's just disgusting. These people are just the, just the dregs of society. And I, I can't stand and them. It's I don't know. Seriously unethical to I, do that. Exactly. You have to. There has to be a pushback against that. Yeah. There's a difference. Somebody says, well, cancel culture. That's just because you made a bad take and everyone's yelling at you. That's not mm-hmm. cancel culture. That's you making a bad take. That's you being accountable. Yeah. But I'm sorry when you were calling people's employers to try to get them fired yeah. for something completely unrelated to work that this is this is straight up unethical yep and well that, i mean that's one of the things that social justice offers as a religion is um rather than unlike I'll, I'll give some props to christianity unlike christianity where if you've got psychological issues you're encouraged to introspect and uh you know i'll converse with God or whatever, you're, you're, you're encouraged to introspect and better yourself, and you, you turn your focus inward and become a better person. Social justice is, is a religion that tells you if you have a psychological dysfunction or something's wrong, um, never look at yourself. It's always mm-hmm. the world. It's always outside. And it's yes. just, it, not only does it enable it, it actually encourages psychological dysfunction. So you get people that have a little bit of dis- dysfunction, and they fall into social justice, and it just... Uh, redounds upon itself and becomes uncontrollable. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you see it. You see witches everywhere. You know, it's the witch. That's right. It's the witch hunt. All of a sudden, everyone's racist. All of a sudden, everyone's you know transphobic. All of a sudden, it's because even you, your baby. Yes, even your baby. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's that mindset you get in where it's nothing's wrong with me. I'm the victim. It's everyone else's fault. And then they start lashing out on people. It's just classic projection. And it's it's unhealthy. Sure, then You're it's absolutely right. Reinforced in the media, right? Yeah. Every every unjust shooting or killing where the victim is black makes national news. You remember their names when the same thing happens to a white person. Mm-hmm. It makes local news. It does never makes national news. And you don't realize that there's a white George Floyd. There's a white Tamir Rice. There, there's a white Breonna Taylor. All of these. And Coleman Hughes dictate. He has the names ready to go for all of them. He read them out. And each one of these situations, and many of them are just as ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and yeah. that we hear about. Tony Tempa. Mm-hmm. Tony Tempa. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I didn't. I had to look his name up just to make sure I had it right because nobody remembers. Nobody knows. But mm-hmm. to your point, I think I would say he's like he died in a some Similar manner to George Floyd in Texas a few years ago. Yeah. How many people talk about that? Right. Right. Yeah. Duncan Lambert was gunned down. It's very similar yeah. uh, to Brianna. Will yeah. they mock him? They, if you've watched right. the video, they mock him. Yeah, as the police actually mock him. Breath, right? mm-hmm. um, yep. he, had a, he wasn't even committing a crime. He called the cops because he felt like either drunk or inebriated and he wanted some help. 
right? So he wasn't actually even in violation of a crime. So it's just a random stop in that way. Also, no charges, mm-hmm. none at all. So unlike the justice that will be meted out for George Floyd, there's no doubt that Chauvin goes to jail, right? He's certainly, at a minimum, he's seeing a, a day at court where the officers in this case, no, nothing happened to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in some ways, it's worse. And I and the other thing that really just uh, not every case, I, George Floyd does not fall into this category, but some of the ones do. Like the Michael Brown case, not only is it publicized a lot by the media, but it's misrepresented horribly by the media. Um, mm-hmm. This whole hands up, don't shoot narrative is bullcrap. It wasn't true. Um, like the, the three autopsy reports demonstrate that it wasn't true. He punched the officer in the face and tried to get his gun. Like he was the autopsy, three separate autopsy reports clearly show he was charging the officer, like all this stuff. And what do they do? Gentle giant, hands up, don't shoot. So like, here's a picture of him in high school being a good person. Uh, it's mm. just, uh, it's, it's an intentional constructed narrative. And I, I'm, uh, Anyone who looks at the mainstream media and thinks that they're getting the whole truth in any sort of objective way has better rethink. Well, and and the weird thing for me personally in my life, so I've had I've had terrible interactions with police. I actually grew up in Chicago, um, you know, lower socioeconomic areas. Uh, Police, I totally get their jobs tough, but in some cases, you know, power corrupts and some some people are assholes and that some cops are assholes. So, yeah, I've had terrible interactions with them. I've also had good interactions with them, but I never thought in my life I'd be defending them. And now we've gotten to a point where like when when um, when this all went down, like there, you had mass public support uh, for uh, better training getting the police the help they need, giving, you know, uh, getting them the resources they need, all those things. You had the, the nation, getting the bad cops out, getting the bad cops out, you know, st- starting to, sh- uh, to raise the curtain on the, the, the brotherhood that is behind the badge. Cause there is, mm-hmm. um, but you follow that up with riots and destruction and destroying businesses and people's livelihoods. And now someone like me who would have been on the side of, yes, we need to reform the police. Now I'm looking at it like, oh, my God, I'm still about reforming the police, but they're needed more than ever now, which is insane. So now I'm actually defending and and not a fan of defunding the police. And um, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) they hijack everything. So there's no doubt that this is some sort of portal to get everything through, because on the the website, if there's environmental justice, Mm -hmm. what is it? I mean, fine, you can be for that. This has nothing to do with police brutality mm-hmm. absolutely nothing you know uh, going after the nuclear family this is a yeah. much much larger agenda it's naked and absolutely out there Again, narratives win though i mean yeah. i think this is why yes. religions are popular that, that there's a narrative story that the cain and abel story means something mm-hmm. now a lot of people have forgotten what that meant but it does mean something when you know it and often yeah. what they'll say too with just with hands up don't shoot well yeah, it may not be true for this, but it supports the larger narrative. Yeah. And oh, I see. It's like an allegory. Absolutely. Like so, Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this is uh yeah that you can you can it means something. You can do it in whatever you want, but yeah. either way, if it advances the narrative, it helps. Well, yeah. and it's it's easy to fall into that false dichotomy that I think Sean, you said you're struggling with, where it's like. Uh, because I, you know, I hate the police state. I hate the militarization of the police. There is a lot of police brutality. And now on the other hand, it's like, well, uh, I actually, <laughs> you guys are, we, we kind of need 
po- police <laughs> at some point. Um, but you know, I, I, um, I think one, one thing to, to keep in mind though, and this is just, you know, to anyone who's worried about the social justice stuff, as the social justice ideology takes over governments and it is, and has many cities taken over and it is taking over other governments. Um, who do you think is going to enforce the laws that the social justice warriors are going to put forward? It's the police. The police are not a mm-hmm. not on a moral side, really. The police are tools of the state, and if the state becomes an authoritarian, uh, you know, <laughs> neo-Marxist social justice quote utopia, those thugs are going to be the police. So. Yeah, it's like supporting the police. I mean, look what happened in Denver recently. There was a like support the police rally and the police stood by and like watched the people get beat up by Antifa because, you know, they're not actually on your side. Yeah. Yeah. They do their job. And, you know, I would argue, though, a lot of especially the true believers don't have what it takes to become police officers or military. But um, I, I get your point. And I think the the biggest uh, the biggest pushback so one of the things that I've been kind of gathering, we had our show with uh, Carlin today, and we were talking about white fragility and corporations. So, you know, if, if we look at this, the timeline, you know, it starts in the universities and now it's starting to sprawl out. Corporations in the workplace are kind of very, very scary for me um, because you're going to, you know, if we thought it was bad in, in the universities, just wait until the corporations and, and where people have to become mindless uh, drones of this. Um the way to fight back, I think, it's not the red pillars. Like we're we're red pilled, right? Like we're we're hardcore anti SJW or our hardcore and you know, we take hardcore stances and we, we're creating space for those that have those voices. But your show, Carlin show, Katie Herzog, there's a number of like uh, what I term term them as purple pilled uh, people like like that are purple pilled. The traditional progressives um, that aren't ready to become red pill but also can't stand the woke those those met that messaging of those people which i think is a, a big majority of people i think that's where the next fight's going to be and i think that's that's what we need to focus on we need to focus on how do you take the traditional progressives the people that do believe in the kernels of these things but that don't want to go all the way to say all white people are racist or all this and that how do we start how do we start empowering them and educating them on things that they can use when they come up against this, especially in the workplace. And I think that's what you guys are doing. That's what Carlin's doing. Katie Herzog's podcast is fantastic. She's doing that. Um, but I think that that's, in my opinion, that's where the next very, very important uh, fight is going to be. And we well, need to. And it's happening. I, I mean, I would say, in a hopeful note anyway, just anecdotally, I have a lot of, I've been hearing from progressive friends who are are waking up to some of the stuff that that we've been talking about on safe space for a while and that you've been talking about who are starting to find their voice and figure out how to speak against this just in the past few days when the all the censorship that happened to those america's frontline doctors it's like Mm -hmm. you may you may decide that you don't find them credible or you may have a problem with them or, or it doesn't matter the fact that they were pulled down off of every platform and then Squarespace deleted their website yeah. Yeah. Um, was shocking to some of my progressive friends and who were, are suddenly finding themselves in the position of arguing online against the censorship and being called, uh, one of my friends is like, yeah, it, it happened to him for the first time where somebody he was arguing with was like, listen, you people and your MAGA and you're this. And he's like, 
I'm a progressive. I've never voted for a Republican in my life. Mm-hmm. But they just make these assumptions, you know. But yeah. but I think it's starting to happen. I think you're starting to see people who are um, uh, on that progressive side who are are being pulled into this. And they're, they're, I'm sure you've seen them. But there were some accounts recently created on Twitter, um, like uh, dancers against woke ideology, you know, musicians against woke ideology, and. Um, according to the anonymous people running the accounts, they're liberals, they're progressives, they're leftists. Mm -hmm. But they're not social justice authoritarians. They're not this identity politics Marxism that seems to be everywhere. I think you have to to say, you have to, uh, people have to be a little more open and less self-censoring to say, even something like, you know, I'm not sure if the woke is the right way to go. doesn't mean, that's not MAGA, that's not, you know, red pill, that's Mm -hmm. not any of this stuff, but we need more people because when you see celebrity after celebrity, yeah. all these people going one way and a dearth of the rest, mm-hmm. that that's you might think I'm wrong. Maybe they're yeah. right. There has to be another group that you can look at and say, well, some people are, some people aren't. I'll mm-hmm. make my own decision. But yeah. when it's one way, come on. Yeah, yeah. You know. But you need voices talking to those people, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Like that that it's going to be very very important because a lot of a lot of times especially in the workplace you'll just follow along uh with whatever the company's deciding and you know they they have these brilliant little kernels and white fragility and all these other dni trainings that say okay well if i just believe this little bit you know i believe i agree with this so therefore i must agree with this greater thing and then it's just like this but i just don't know how yet exactly exactly and it's just like just just uh proselytizing and and getting them into this this faith and um it's it's no different than what scientology does if they tell you one thing that's true all of a sudden you start to believe the bigger things that you were questioning before that you you thought were no you know not even possible you know like it just you just indoctrinate yeah. yourself. Look it's at the uh, level of censorship you might get. I mean, you're right. The American frontline doctors is a really good example. Okay, yeah. Did that Dr. Emanuel maybe have some weird takes? It's okay. Yeah, there's obviously some sort of African animist religion that that is informing some of her views. Doesn't make her a bad doctor. Mm-hmm. Can we just right. with the merits? And I was told by reliable sources in the um in the this community, the social justice community, or specifically the critical theory community, that there are other ways of knowing. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> religions, where are her defenders? That this is this is really surprising to me. So uh, this censorship is silly. Should we immediately ban all chiropractors? Yeah. Because guess what? Their their entire system is based on bullshit. Based mm-hmm. on a thing that the, all diseases come from the spine. Now, mm-hmm. granted, that's not they've the chiropractors know that, this, yeah. and they're yeah. trying to do the therapy motions. But again, it's all rooted in horse crap. Should we ban it? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like if we're going to follow these COVID rules, yes. No, well, we don't do this. Only and, COVID is ban. I don't get it. Well, and not to be the pessimist, but I'm always the pessimist on the show. <laughs> Literally, just a couple hours ago. Uh, Guess who was in front of Congress being grilled about not taking that COVID video down fast enough? Mark Zuckerberg. He stood there yeah. and got yelled at because it took him five hours to take the COVID video down. And how dare they allow that information to get out to people? Um, I Wow. My concern with a lot of this, I, I totally agree with your, what you're saying, Sean, about the, the, the purple pill being the way to attract people. My big concern is that... Uh, when people get attracted, 
to start questioning woke ideology, they stop at the like, oh, I guess the ra they, they became racist. Um, and I'm not going to question like, how the hell did we get here? Uh, because mm -hmm. it's like decades and decades of bad philosophy that got us here. And they're just kind of kind of solve the immediate problem of not being woke and that sleeping giant of really, really bad, you mentioned critical theory, it's one of the foundations of these bad bad ideas, that's just yeah. gonna manifest itself in, in, you know, in 10 years in something else if we don't really get to the roots of like, hey, wait a minute, uh, we're successful because of enlightenment ideas and this is what we need to really understand what that means and we yeah. need to and we need to defend that rigorously. And my concern is a lot of people are like, can't we just go back to the 80s where we argue and have more polite discourse and it's the left and right? And like, I, the answer to that is no, we can't, in my opinion. Well, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll continue to do but that. But it's a but long sell. Yeah, that's, it's a long sell. But I, I guess to answer your question, um, you're an atheist. So like, yes. you know, if, even if you go back 30, 40 years, even in the U S if you came out as an atheist, you'd be shunned. You'd, you know, people, uh, people would say, Oh, there's something wrong oh, with you. I did. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, but like it, what it took was time. And unfortunately we had this woke explosion and now we're facing this thing. What it's going to, again, what it's going to take is grassroots efforts, people talking, to the people that are actually in power, people that can persuade those people. And then over time now, we can gradually start pushing this thing back. And not to offend you, Carrie, but like seriously, you know, challenge the religion until it is to a point where it doesn't have control over the systems anymore. Unfortunately, it's the new fight, you know, and we started as in, with, with atheism because we thought religion was that thing. And we came on the back end of it. It is. It's just a different religion. This yeah. is so interesting because we have an interview that's not up yet. I think it's coming out this week with uh, Tim Dukeman, who he's a Christian. He talked to us about um, um, Southern Baptist, like the SJW ideology infiltrating the Southern Baptist Church. And he was saying the same thing. He said Christianity is a little bit behind the curve because we were focusing everything on fighting the new atheist battle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you guys were doing the same. And he's yeah. like, and then the social justice thing came in and we had just prepared our arguments against the atheists and i'm right. like and now and now you're on the same side as the atheists yeah <laughs> it's funny like you know we're we're siding with religious people all the time and you know brian's uh kind of getting some of his little religious uh inklings back i well, think I, 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 <laughs> what i'm, I'm just kidding I, Brian. I, I get i get i give him shit all the time for well, it the thing is I'm like i it's funny because that catholic the catholic church so i, I go to with my uh, parents church all the time, right? So they they love to go. They never miss. So I go and like they're it, things are more meaningful mm -hmm. now. The, the sermons they're actually trying to explain things. Jordan Peterson's out there explaining. Yes. I didn't know. I honestly, I was a pretty devout Catholic, and I did not understand the Cain and Abel story outside of what the story was. I didn't get the metaphor. It wasn't until Peterson explained. I'm like, oh, and so some of these yeah. things these make sense. You can. Get something out of the Icarus story. It doesn't need to be true. The metaphors are good. These narratives are good. Correct. There's something to it. The and human experience. You should know that was the first lecture of his. I, I was turned on to Jordan Peterson when I was still a social justice warrior, and I I went to a video someone shared uh, talking about how he's a transphobe, and I went there fully expecting to, you know, to bag on him for being transphobic only to find that I didn't think he was transphobic. And then I stuck around and I watched an old, his tragedy versus evil video where he talked about the Cain and Abel allegory. One, one of many times I'm sure he's talked about it and it has stuck with me 
Brian, like all this time, it's even on my whiteboard. It's, it's, I have two columns. Your choice is, you know, and all of this whole list of things like sacrifice, truth, um, gratitude, or your choice is to not make necessary sacrifices, to live in resentment, to, um, um, jealousy, arrogance, oh, entitlement, like all of that. And it, and it really helped me. I have it up there because I try to remember in every, even the small choices that we all make daily that I want to be in this column over here. I don't want to be making the choice. I don't want to be living like Cain in that choice, whatever it is, you know, because that keeps you, you in check. Yeah. It, 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 what they're saying, don't make that mistake that you'll feel it. Right. But this is where that path leads. So you can maybe cut it off before it gets to the point where yeah. you kill your brother metaphorically, which is do something wild, mm-hmm. you know, then yeah. it, kill your brother or it could be something else. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of faith in people. I think there are some people right now that are using this opportunistically. I think there's a lot of bad faith actors. There's a lot of bad takes on purpose, but ultimately I have a lot of faith in people. And I think if we can reach those that are honest and I think most people are honest. Um, and if we can get them to understand the other side of this thing, just like we did with atheism, like we're not, you know, killing babies and worshiping the devil. If we can get them to understand not everyone's racist, not everyone has all these things, um, they they will come to these conclusions. And I think we can that's how we that's the only way to push this thing back, you know, and um, you have to empower the people. Uh, so, Carter, I, I get you, you're a pessimist. <laughs> Totally get it. (laughs) You were talking about purple pills and red pills, and somebody said Carter is a black does a black pill, pill. and um, I don't know if you do or not. And then and then I just learned the white pill, which I guess is the God pill. There's too many pills. Oh, I didn't. One. Yeah. No, I look. I'm a I'm a pessimist, but I do think that the ultimately I'm a pessimist in the sense that. I don't think it's going to be easy to turn things around. I do think reality wins in the long run. Like, so in, in the long run, um, I'm an optimist. And I do think that it is, if we if we really understand the philosophical roots of this stuff, you can inoculate yeah. kids against it. So your next generation can, if, if you know what you're doing, it's not that hard to inoculate kids to grow up and reject this outright. So you can mm. have whole generations that that reject this crap. The, the, my big question is like, what happens between now and then? Because the that crowd, one thing Carrie and I have noted is that crowd is way more obsessed with power than the people who are opposed to that crowd. We tend to go about our businesses and do other stuff, and we're not running for city council meetings and or city council, right. and we're not trying to get elected. We're not trying to head the committees at our at our company. We're just doing our jobs and and kind of heads yep. down, leaving people alone. And the people that are power hungry are on that side. And that's that's one of the things that's a little bit scary in the short term for me, which is why I'm not sure this ends with like a singing Kumbaya in two years. Right. Well, oh, I know it's I, not ending in two years. Yeah. And I think what you guys are doing on this show is exactly the things that you need to do. Yeah, it's hard in the workplace, you know, unless you're in a position where you have influence, it's very tough. And that's. That's where these uh, the radicals really uh, when when I say they go after your job, they're the worst people in the world. I really agree with that because that's how they get you to bow down to them. They know they can control you. They know they can take your your uh, income away from you, your reputation, your possible future promotions, all that stuff. They can go after the jugular by taking those things away from you. And that's why this year we went with Milo. Um, I personally like Milo. I think he's a great guy. 
he had a bad take. He had one bad take. They canceled him. They went after everything that he had, right? But he's unique um, in that he got canceled by both sides. He got canceled yep. everywhere. So it's like Milo's a great jackhammer for us to go and say, we're done with this cancel culture. We don't yes. buy into this uh, not giving people pass to redemption. We don't buy into this. Um, we, we're going to support taking people's income away from them. So for us, like having Milo there is very powerful. Um, and that I think those that are able to do it, like we're able to do it with these events, however you can do it. Like if you can do these little things, if you can push back on the cancel culture, because that's most normal people are scared of cancel culture because it's your income, you know? Right. And that's why, that's why this year it's like our mission to start pushing back on that cancel culture, um, and saying, no, enough's enough. We're not going to listen to you. We're going to do it. Uh, Milo's going to be there. Uh, all these people you hate are going to be there. Have fun, you know, like screw uh, yeah, up. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Carter and I talked about this recently because I got in, I got a um, negative comment for actually on Carlin's channel when she interviewed me for mentioning Milo, and the there was some comment about how Carlin and I need to distance ourselves for the sake of our image from certain figures, and I'm like, I'm not gonna play that game because right. because the thing is, the group of people that you're supposed to distance yourself from. First of all, I don't even agree with the people that you have in that box, for a lot of them. And secondly, the box is just going to get bigger, and I'm going to be in it one day anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> why yeah. would I do that for the sake of image? And, and anybody who wants to leave that kind of comment on our channel or on a video, I'm kind of like, well, well, that tells me a lot about what your priorities are or what your priorities would be if you were doing a podcast. Yep. Um, and I don't have that same priority. My priority is not being a part of cancel culture. Um more than uh, pr- creating or preserving some uh, uh, PC image. I mean, and that's that's the, it. Just it blew my mind because it goes against the entire philosophy of why we're doing this. I know. <laughs> I know. And so. it, I, I just want to say we are we are equal opportunity. Uh, our organization's interesting because I'm actually a traditional liberal. Brian's more of a moderate conservative. One of our other founders is like traditional liberal. So we actually have wide range um wide range of opinions but these days we're all classified all right conservatives it is what it is <laughs> but we're, you're nazis all of you <laughs> exactly uh but uh, you know we're gonna open the door and say look we're gonna have these people that you hate come challenge them you know you, you think they're so terrible we, we're inviting all sides right. to this thing and we're, you know? yeah, we're, we have people to oppose it along with it destiny yeah. is not exactly a right winger no now he's not a leftist either but he is like a liberal i think yeah. he's Proudly voting for Biden, let's put it that way. So, okay, yeah. fine. Everybody's chance. We'll bring the leftist viewpoint if if you want to come and engage. But those that don't want to engage, they're, they're just not going to do it. Yeah. But there are plenty of people on the left is going to come. You know, yeah. uh, Jangles is coming. Um, who else do we got? Well, it's uh, sad because Nico House, Nico House. guy, he's yeah. coming. You know, it's sad because Peter Coffin would have been great. And he actually made the argument that the fact that they, they forced him to cancel – um, and, uh, he's like, great. Now they're not going to hear a leftist viewpoint. Yep. Good job guys. You know, that, that was a really good statement. I think he made, it's like, they're shutting themselves out of these conversations there. So they're going to go on without them, you know? So yeah. it, it is what but it this is. This is a generational war. Uh, like yes. it's definitely a fight. I mean, it, and that's actually the best way to do it because if you can win the generational fight, people believe it. They don't have to accept it. Mm-hmm. The reason why there's homophobia is low is because it's not that people feel like they can't insult. They don't feel that gay people are deserve insult. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. that's that's the thing. They've internalized it. Yeah, this really isn't a big deal. You don't need to police that when you believe it. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, right now, That's like, a great point. They're, we're pushing this, the SJW, this authoritarian is pushing it for, it's not going to take. Yeah. So, you, but, so, you know, this is, we have to be that, that bone in there that, that won't allow the coffin to close. Well, yeah. notice how they never tell you that you need to distance yourself from like, literal avowed communists or marxist right it's like <laughs> those people yeah, are totally fine you like don't taint yourself with getting in the same room with the professor who argues for stalin 2.0 like why yeah. is that not a problem so I, part of the cancel culture thing for me is just to step back and look at the broader picture of like who are they canceling they're not trying to say that anyone who has views that are abhorrent needs to be canceled only the abhor only the quote abhorrent views that fall into this category and, and then it becomes yeah. very clear which side they're on and what they're trying to do they want these other abhorrent views okay fine yeah. well and and i you know the other thing that I, I wish people would see you know like we're we're old school like we went like when we went to high school we i think computers and the internet were first just coming around you know so it was a lot of social interaction it was really a lot of the you know, you had your own groups like the alternative group and the jocks and the whatever. And cancel culture, we really understood what that was back then because it's like, oh, if you're one of the geeks, you can't hang out with the jocks or whatever. Oh, you were hanging out with one of the geeks. Oh, what's wrong with you? You know, like, so we understood that. And the fact that it's playing out like uh, globally right now is disgusting. It's like, are we really uh, dumbing ourselves down to a high school level, uh, high school oh, yeah. level train, you know, uh, train of thought? Like, this is, you know, I can't talk to Milo because he said something bad, or I can't talk to Carl because he said something bad, or you had so-and-so on your show, so now you're bad. It's like, seriously? Like, are we really still in high school? Like, Well, it's you worse know. than that. Like, at least I was in the nerd club. I had no problem hanging out with the nerds. They were cool. You know, like, you had your group. It's almost like you get yeah. kicked out of your own group. That's you, true. You get, that scarlet A is not coverable with clothes. That's true. It seems like. Yeah. I think maybe because like, you're making forcing me to think back to high school and I went to a science and math boarding school and um, they, we, they had these I went to I'm from South Carolina and some of the states with I guess lower educational records have started these residential schools where you go and live there for 11th and 12th grade and huh. um, it was one of the best decisions I ever made um, but at that school we definitely had the groups but I think I've always been good at kind of like floating in between groups yeah so. Yeah. Maybe that lends itself to being able to talk to different communities of people on the show and not yeah. really feeling like I have to not have to pick some. I mean, this defines me or that defines me. I don't know. Yeah, um, it is a very middle school, high school thing. It's so limiting, too. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, no, there's there's some people that were really good at, you know, becoming the chameleon, as I like to call it, and could could bounce in and out. But there's some people. You know, and unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, we're seeing a lot of people that were bullied. We're seeing people that do have emotional problems. We do see people that have, you know, they're, they're not able to operate in society like people they know do. So they get very disgruntled. And the only way to do it is to start attacking back. And it's it's just a it's a terrible cycle, you know, and, and instead of saying looking at themselves, saying, how can I improve myself? They're looking at everyone else and, and lashing out on them. And it's, it's how can we correct them? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, so yeah. can you tell us, um, I know that you are being forced to limit the participation at this year's yeah. conference because of COVID. Yeah. So are there still tickets left and where can people get them? So, yes, there are still tickets left. It's on betterdiscourse.com. Um, you'll find the tickets there. It is going to be strange. I'm just giving you guys a heads up. 
um, for like, especially for those that have been to the our other events. Typically, we have like large theaters or large casino or like really big venues where you know six seven hundred people are there. Um, this year, because of COVID, we had to limit that to a hundred legally. We had to limit that to a hundred to allow for social distancing. Also, mandatory mask. Milwaukee passed the mandatory mask indoors law. So unlike the protesters, we will be following the law. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it's going to be weirder. It's going to be a smaller venue. Um, but we still think it's going to be very impactful, A, because these speakers, the talent that are coming, they normally have, you know, like 10, 12, 20 speaking events a year. That's all been shut down. So we want to at least get this thing going so we can get still give them a platform, still get them, you know, doing what they, they, they like to do um, and be to get the, those that do join to, to actually start hearing some of the other side of these conversations and not just listening to one one side. So it's, it's two pronged for us. Um, it's going to be weird. I'm just telling you guys. <laughs> it's not going to be like it was before. That's uh, a great sales security, pitch, Sean. Going yeah, different. it's going to be right. it's going to be different. So Just it's going to be to work an, with him on the sales. Pitch. Yeah, it's it's going <laughs> it's going to be an experience. It's like, you know, like the first year was crazy leftist mobs coming after a second year bomb threat. Third year. Antifa. OK, this year, on the sales pitch. this year, COVID. Um, but it's no, so, no. It's, this so, year so, is an intimate experience with with speakers yes, up close and personal. Yeah. So that is one thing that will be cool about this one, because, you know, when you have 700 people, it's a lot of competition to talk to the speakers and stuff. And all the speakers are always very, very open. Like, I'll never forget, like when we first had Carl at the the first event, he was really excited. And every every event he's like this, but he had 40 people like seriously, like standing around him for like five hours straight. And I had to, like, thank him so many times for just like being so patient but they love it like they love yeah, our speakers and that love. was the same for armored and shoe yeah talk to their, yeah. their fans all night like every long. every event we had like every speaker has always been and it was very also, very awesome to just talk to people and listen to their stories and it's it's really really cool experience and not just like the the speakers the other attendees are really interesting because mm -hmm. people that will travel for this kind of event make the time to go for this event have mm -hmm. thought about this and you'll get a lot of good takes from attendees mm -hmm. and where they come from. And they won't all be on the same side. We still have always had about 10 to 15 percent people that identify as progressive. Yeah, we they do surveys every year on the yep. other side. Yep. And those are really fun people to talk to as well. So and everybody there is agreeing to this is a safe space for ideas, yep. not a safe space from offense. And you have. That, that's kind of environment where you can have a lot of fun. Yeah, every year we do surveys, and every year we get a huge variety of people that were there will yeah. ask, you know, what side you're on. A lot of centrists, a lot of libertarians, but, you know, like Brian said, last year 15% progressive. Um, you know, we had like 13% uh, conservative. So, yeah, it's just it's a wide range of, of mm -hmm. people that want to come and have these discussions, and it's, it's really, really fun. Um, so and also security. That's another thing. The the mob tries to always get a, tries to scare people. The security team we have this year is incredible. All ex police, all ex military. Every year we have an amazing security force. Um, so security is going to be down pat uh, like it always is. 
we do do bag wanding. We do, nope. you know, no milkshakes are allowed in. No, you know, like we do metal detectors. And we don't release the venue until yeah. the day before. This allows, this is just stops the crowd from organizing. Exactly. And last year is interesting at the casino because anytime you came in, there was like a barrier where you can come in. And every single time we had security wand whoever was coming in. And we thought people would get really upset by that. But we, we got so much positive feedback. I said, no, we love that. We know no one's coming in with a gun or no one's coming in with, yeah. you know, stuff to, to really, you know, throw at the speakers and stuff. So they, it's actually like they they that was really uh, they really enjoyed that part of it, which is good. Um, this year is going to be the same. You know, if you're mm-hmm. coming in, you're going to get bonded. You're going to get your bag checked. Uh, it's also the can't Midwest. get in with the milkshakes. And the, the Midwest that uh, Tim Pool makes a good point on this one, too, that the Antifa on the West Coast considers much more violent yeah. than it is in the Midwest or on the East Coast. They're non-existent. Here. It, they're. So you really just you don't see it as much. I mean, you might like, well, again, we got protesters in Philly. But mm-hmm. again, they, they weren't throwing rocks in bottles. They were just yelling. There was a few of the same chants that you've probably heard, but no M80s, no mm-hmm. anything like that. So I that that's a one upside of the Midwest that, you know. Yeah. And more. It's funny. Like there's no presence in Milwaukee. So it's, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It seems like the more blue collar the area you live in, the less you have this craziness. Because well, they have jobs it and they, they want to burn their own cities down and like they're much more practical <laughs> people than like trust fund babies who go to Berkeley, for example. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's talk about privilege. Yeah, Claire Lehman yeah. always says she's never met a Marxist that didn't go to private school. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, including Karl Marx himself, who, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if he went to private school, but definitely a kept man, so to speak. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on, for uh, giving us your time. I just want to plug the dates of the conference. We said you guys can still get tickets at betterdiscourse.com. It's going to be Sunday, August 16th. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, added bonus, it sounds like Brandon Straka is going to have a walkaway event during that time because it's right. It's our events a day before the DNC. And Brandon, I'm not sure when his event is, but it's going to. I've heard it's possibly going to be the day before. Okay. Okay, yeah. so the so the day before the so Saturday the fifteenth would be walk away, right? Yeah. Oh, Saturday. Okay, perfect. That'd be. So we're we're trying to get him to moderate the yeah. Milo panel. Um, so we're in talks with him right now, so it should be interesting. Uh, but yeah, no. So you have two things in in Milwaukee, and then also the DNC if you if if you want to see them. Right <laughs> that. I never thought our thing. <laughs> the DNC, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and and this is a sad thing, and if you guys can make it, please do. This is. This is the sad thing that's happened in Milwaukee. It's happened in a lot of places, like with the RNC and stuff. But Milwaukee um, was promised 50,000 attendees for the DNC and 1,500 events in the city. And, you know, the, the local economy was supposed to be booming after this. And Milwaukee really needs it, you know, like out of all the cities. Like, I know there's other cities they need it, but we need it, too. And um, they were promised all this. And COVID took all of that away. All of it. It's all gone uh, the DNC is down. They're they're taking a venue. They're using a venue that is max three thousand. The last I heard, there's only going to be three hundred attendees. Um, so yeah. So if you guys get to Milwaukee, it'd be great just to support support our economy. It's really really sad because a lot of people's jobs depend on these types of things, and um, you know it's just been really 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 devastating for the local economy. So if, if you need another reason to come, that's yep. another one. Well, the, and the, are you guys the ones that do the cheese fries? 
Cheese curds. Cheese curds? Okay. That's yeah. another reason to come, right? Wait, is it fried, it is, fried uh, cheese curd, like fried cheese, basically? Yes, yeah. It's. Oh, I don't know I'm where there. that comes from. I don't know where that comes from. I'm a heretic. I'm the one person from Wisconsin that doesn't particularly like cheese curds. So, yeah, that is a heretic. Because, like, uh, yeah, the cheese curds apparently are the die for. I don't really like cheese either. Maybe it's because I grew up in Chicago. I don't know. But um, I'm not a fan. But, yeah, that's definitely that. And then at the State Fair, we have a burger with two donuts as buns. So that's another thing. Um, so it's the health that... conscious city. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, we're yeah. very health conscious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Remember when it, it, on uh, and the beer, the beer is big here. The too. Simpsons and Homer, uh, Homer said, you know, like Springfield was named the fattest city. He's like, yeah, take that, Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only thing I know about Wisconsin is Badger Bob and uh, the, the Wisconsin Badgers, and Badger Bob was a hockey coach there that uh, I used to idolize before he died. But uh, I basically mm. know of cheese. I don't know anything about. Else about Milwaukee or Wisconsin, so there you go. And beer, big beer town. Oh, Milwaukee. Of, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of breweries. Yep. Mm-hmm. The the baseball team's the Brewers. So there you go. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> one that wants to, um, yeah, I would definitely encourage it. It's yeah, so much nicer in person's great. It's great in the summer, even though it's kind of be the fall, but it's it is early enough. Um, but you guys have to come on our show. We got to get you guys on our I'd show. Love to, yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I went to send you a message, and I was, and I saw that you had emailed me a, a year and a half ago, and I said, "Oh, <laughs> Fritz did like a year and a half ago." Like he, he yeah, funny, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you I'd guys, love to. and we're gonna see you because we're coming. Yeah. So. And what you guys are doing is great. Again, like like I said, there's really this need to talk to this segment that's very powerful and is over always overlooked and is now coming up against this thing in the workplace. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I, I really, really think that's super important. Um, so, but yeah, you guys keep up the great work too. Can't wait to see you guys. Well, thanks you guys too. I really appreciate what you're doing there and we will definitely see you in, in Milwaukee. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. Twitter tells me there is a 98.2% chance that these are all rushing bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. 
think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Pay no attention to doctors who disagree with bureaucrats at Facebook and YouTube. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.